When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. Reserve. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome in to the Bet the Board podcast, NFL Week 2. Powered, as always, by our friends at betonline.ag. And Payne, we didn't get a chance to get your thoughts on the things you saw or, in this week's case, didn't see uh, during NFL Week 1. So I feel like that's a logical place for us to get a jumping off point for the overreactions or underreactions since you know it's a doom and gloom prognosis for most NFL fans after just 60 minutes of football. In general, I wouldn't pay attention to anything really you saw in week one. That's that's the biggest thing. Um, certainly there's going to be takeaways, but right now when we talk about the NFL football season and everyone loving it, getting in, you know, just diving headfirst in week one, they still have their money, recreational betters. Uh, moving into week two, that's really where we start to see an overreaction in the market. I had a chance to speak to a guy, his name's John, he's from Fantasy Football Elite, and he threw this nugget my way. It really plays into what I was just saying. Since 2010, teams that lose week one on the road cover 65% of the time in their home opener in week two. So I'm not a huge trend guy, but when I look at that, there's that overreaction to week one where you can find some value in week two. There are definitely some merits to that that make a lot of sense. And we'll, of course, discuss the look ahead lines and what they were projected to be for week two versus where the market has settled at betonline.ag. And we'll get to some of the what we learned, what we didn't learn, etc. But we do have a contest update. And for the first time in Bet the Board podcast hitter history, we have to crown a week one winner, my friend. Yeah, week one. Uh, the winner is Sam Franklin. He went 5-0, and nailed the exact total on Monday Night Football as the tiebreaker. And the big thing for this week was he followed the directions. He followed the rules. We didn't need the last installment of the tiebreaker, which was going to just be a randomizer of all the teams that went 5-0 and and then had the tiebreaker uh, and then had the final score nailed. So we did have... Four guys that went 5-0 and and had four guys that had the 45-point tiebreaker. One of them wasn't following the rules. The other one weren't following the rules 
as well as Sam. Uh, so Sam is your week one winner. You can find him on Twitter at sfranklin12. And uh, Sam will be in touch with you. We'll get your prize out this week. So moving forward, make sure you follow the rules specifically. And uh, if the four guys had done that, then there would have been a randomizer for, for the winner. 16 more chances to win your Bet the Board swag pack throughout the course of the regular season. Obviously, want to thank everybody. Over 2,100 people took the time to sign up for the contest, uh, and it's a show of uh, what we can give back to you guys, our loyal listeners out there, that have made this a true labor of love uh, as we get deeper and deeper into Season 4. Obviously, the addition of the College Football Podcast has gone exceptionally well right out of the gates. And for folks that aren't signed up, subscribe. SoundCloud, iTunes, you'll get them delivered to your podcast files. You won't have to track us down or ask why things haven't been recorded. We know we've had a little bit of a disruption in our recording schedule, but all things being equal, we should be back on track next week with the Monday NFL edition, recapping what we saw, looking ahead to where those numbers may go, the Wednesday edition for college football, and of course the Thursday installment that you guys have all grown to love with the big weekend preview. Payne, the big question though, and I know uh, as we both try and get into our normal schedules, are we going to be bringing back Movie Monday this starting Monday, or are we going to have to postpone it a little bit uh, given everything that's going on in South Florida? Uh, it's up to you. Don't care either way. I know a lot of the uh, listeners like that. I figure we touch on something that is uh, that we both a little, saw. A little summer flick? Summer. Yeah, and then we can try to transition uh, to newer stuff moving forward. It's going to be a battle uh, getting to the movie theaters and kind of spending two, three hours that way a week when you don't have a ton of time. But yeah, we're going to try to make that happen for sure. We'll, fi- we'll find that window. So uh, look forward to that. We'll talk about some of the summer flicks you may have missed uh, next week on Monday's podcast. But Payne, you said you never want to try and take too much away from what we saw week one. So I'll ask you quickly and we can gloss over uh, a lot of the stuff. You know, what did you see that you kind of want to throw away? Let's play devil's advocate that you think, you know what, this is more an outlier than anything else. It's not going to lead to money-making opportunities moving forward in the 2017 season. I think probably Alex Smith is going to regress a little bit. Uh, He was fantastic when I start to break down some of his numbers. Uh, He looked like he found another gear with Mahomes breathing down his neck. Um, At this stage, he is what he is. Uh, But a week ago... He was the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, and we know typically that's the case when you're throwing short. But when you back out and talk about adjusted percentage, which removes um, wide receiver drops, running back drops, throwaways, things of that nature, he completed 91% of his passes. Uh, So I I don't think he's going to keep that rate up, obviously. Uh, But this Chiefs offense, I'm still not in love with it, and so I think they're going to regress just a little bit. Not sure it's going to happen this week. But that's certainly something that just isn't going to continue, especially when we talk about Andy Reid. Now, we'll say this. The Chiefs have some nice scheduling uh, favoritism for him this season, so Reid's going to have ample opportunity with added time a couple times this season, but he's not going to have an entire offseason where he literally just threw the kitchen sink at the Patriots. He's not going to have that opportunity every single week to implement new things. So I think the Chiefs are going to regress a little bit here offensively. And this week's game against Eagles and Chiefs, one of the uh, bigger game breakdowns that we will get to later in the show. Uh, Payne, what else did you see that really disappointed you out of week Well, one? I didn't really see many of the games, as we alluded to a little bit. But <laughs> um, when I look at this, I, I was disappointed with Seattle. You know, we knew their offensive line was going to be a huge question mark. We thought it had improved a little bit. They lost George Faint at left tackle during the preseason. 
Uh, but when you talk about going the majority of the first half without a first down, this was an offense that we projected to be pretty dynamic. They have just a slew of running backs. Their offensive weapons outside seem to be elite. Jimmy Graham continuing to get healthy. Um, you know, now two years removed from his knee injury, but there just wasn't much there. And certainly there's question marks, uh, you know, with that Packers defense. So that was surprising to see how much that Seattle offense struggled. And a chance for the Seahawks to get healthy this week in a hurry against division rival San Francisco, a game where Seattle's a 14-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on that game, 42. It will not be one of the games uh, that we go into greater detail on. So if you're looking for information there, not going to crack the list. Dave Mason will be with us shortly, not only to talk the NFL, but we'll touch on the big fight taking place out here at T-Mobile Arena between Triple G and Canelo Alvarez should add another layer to an otherwise busy sports weekend. But Payne, let's get right into the games and we'll stop at start, excuse me, at the top of the rotation uh, with the Tennessee Titans, a bit of a lackluster performance to put it mildly from the offensive side week one playing host to the Oakland Raiders. They go on the road to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tennessee, a two-point favorite right now at betonline.ag. Total on this game, 43. 16 points ain't going to get it done in the NFL in 2017. No, and (laughs) I've cautioned people about this for a long time now. The talent is not the issue with the Tennessee Titans. It's Mike Malarkey. We're just not sure how creative he is offensively. His shtick is going to work half the time, (laughs) I would say. Uh, he's basically just using the league against itself. Everyone's going to this spread offense, so defensive has to adjust. Every single week, he's going to have an advantage trying to play bully, and that just wasn't the case this week against the Oakland Raiders. Run on first down, run on second down. Let's put our quarterback, who's not the greatest passer, in third and long situations and see if he can bail us out. In the first half, Mariota was 6-for-7 in that regard, bailing his offense out on third down. The second half, that was not the case, and they just could not move the ball. So I I don't know what the situation here is for the Titans. We we talked about this a little bit. If you're the GM or you're the owner of the organization and you hear Mike Malarkey say things like, we don't need a third down back, a pass catching back, (laughs) when the rest of the league is going that way, when we see the most probably prepared team, the most sophisticated team in the NFL and the New England Patriots, having a slew of pass-catching backs, the reason they won the Super Bowl with James White, that would concern me a little bit. And I've said this from day one. Mike Malarkey is going to be what hinders this Titans team. Sharp guys, public guys, put their head down, barreled through that wall anyways. And I think inevitably they probably will cash that win total ticket. It's going to be close, closer than it needs to be with a guy like Mike Malarkey at the helm. The play calling uh, was legitimately atrocious. It's a game I watch intently because two teams that I wanted to try and figure out what potential direction they were going to go in. And as we said, you never want to take too much away from just one game, but you're exactly right. It felt like every single series, it was third and seven, third and eight, uh, with no real originality in the early down play calling to try and throw on non-traditional downs. Titans defense, for me, Payne, looked a little bit better. I think they've solidified some issues at the back end. By no means are they the Baltimore Ravens circa 2001 or maybe even the Baltimore Ravens of 2017. When we look at Jacksonville on the other side, 10 sacks in their season opener against the Houston Texans. We talked about there being sharp money on the Jags, and that was one of the easier bets you could cash with Jacksonville, a a five-and-a-half point pup going on the road at NRG and winning that game convincingly 29-7. to I guess the biggest question I have for you before we get to the Jags offense, was that this Jaguars defense taking the next step 
Or do you think that's more an indictment of a Houston Texans offensive line that has some major issues, which, in spoiler alert, we'll get to in greater detail when we talk about their game tonight against Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like we needed some type of bells, whistle, sirens to congratulate the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, they're one and zero for the first time in what you know a dozen years. I mean, are, we did say the first time they've been over five hundred in six years. I mean, this is the one <laughs> time we did say on this podcast since the inception of the podcast, we'd have to actually learn how to pronounce this team's nickname correctly if the Jaguars are over five hundred. Yeah, the the secondary. Oh, that's right, I forgot about that. Ja- Jaguars. <laughs> um, when you look at this defense, it's young. It's fast. It's explosive. They can get after the quarterback regardless of, you know, who the opponent is in their lackluster offensive line. But when you look at a lot of what they have there in the back half, they go and get A.J. Boye. He was a fantastic addition there. Uh, they're young at linebacker, but they're super athletic. This might be the most athletic defense in the NFL right up there with the Baltimore Ravens. I do think it is sustainable. I think they're kind of growing a lot of the younger parts. They're going to get mentoring from guys like Calais Campbell, how to be professional. Uh, So I see that defense. We've pegged them as a unit that's going to be drastically improved. The question mark is always on the other side of the ball for Jacksonville. Well, you mean Blake Bortles only throwing for 120 some odd yards, uh, 11 for 21, was able to manage the game effectively. He was awesome. I think that's what... Yeah, I mean, that's what you need from, I will say, I mean, Leonard Fournette, uh, a very nice debut workmanlike effort there, uh, for sure. I was a little bit surprised with his ability to catch balls out of the backfield, something he hadn't done <laughs> that much while at LSU. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, no, I mean, I you know, he was a guy when, when we really first broke onto the scene, he was returning kickoffs and, and things like that. So, I mean, I think he has the hands. I just don't think that's how LSU ran their offense. It was pounded up the gut. And when we do pass, it's going to be play action. It's going to be a deeper shot. They really didn't implement um, when you go from Les Miles to Ed Orgeron, you know, a fantastic or an efficient or a um, futuristic offense. Let's, let's put it nicely that way. So I don't know if there was a lot of opportunity there for him to catch balls. But the big thing um, here is Bortles. He just needs to be average. What do, That's it. Yeah, it's not, I was going to ask, what do you think of Bortles, and what do we make of the uh, loss of Allen Robinson to a torn ACL for Bortles? That's it. Just be average. Uh, he was an upgrade from his usual self, regardless of what the box score said. He was an average quarterback, and that's all he needs to be. Uh, certainly, you know, everyone wants an elite quarterback, but when you have a defense like this, when you have a ground game that's somewhat successful, I, I will say this, Fournette's, he was a workhorse. Can he take that pounding? Can he take that beating throughout the course of the season? I'm not really sure. It was hilarious. They said, you know, maybe we'll get him about 20 touches this game. Uh, we'll we'll sprinkle in a couple of our other backs. You know, Chris Ivory's going to potentially start. He had 17 carries at the half. <laughs> and when you look at the yards per play, you know, it's not going to look overwhelmingly good. It's not going to jump off the page at you, but then you start to dig in a little bit and you'll see four of his five offensive linemen graded out negatively run blocking. So he was fantastic in week one. Um, Back to Bortles, though. His numbers, again, are going to look a little better when you really dig into some of the metrics. He had three passes dropped that would have went for first downs. Uh, He was 50% on his throws that went 10 yards or greater. Allen Robinson is going to be a significant loss here. For whatever reason, they didn't seem like they were totally on the same page early on in the season throughout OTAs and camp, but that's going to be a huge loss. Not sure who fills the void there. 
But the Jacksonville Jaguars look competent. This week is going to be interesting because it's going to be a case where professionals and the public are going to be on the same side. The question is, where where does that resistance come? I think there's inevitably gets to three. Does it leak out a little more than that? I could see a scenario where you laid pick, you're going to probably be coming back plus three and a half, minus 20 in this situation. So I think this is more of a, a numbers play than, than something I would be uh, banging, banging the table for to, to invest in. And this was a game that, from a look-ahead standpoint, had the Titans listed as a two-and-a-half-point favorite oh, before we go. saw them week one lose to the Raiders. Ultimately, Books chose to use Pick'em here, and the market moving exactly towards that look-ahead line, which is going to be common sentiment as we get through a, a number of these games, Payne. Uh, a bounce-back bowl taking place down in New Orleans, where the New England Patriots have had a few extra days to stew over their season-opening disappointment to the Kansas City Chiefs. You're looking at New England right now, a six-and-a-half-point favorite at betonline.ag, total on this game, 56. New England extra time, the Saints a bit of a short week. I'm not even sure where we go to try and start dissecting this game. I will say, BetOnline opened this number, Patriots minus 4.5, but the public, along with I'm sure some professional money initially, has ballooned this number. Do we? Does it get to 7, and how do we begin to handicap and assess these two teams? Well, the Saints uh, fall into that trend we discussed at the top of the show. That's certainly not going to be something I'm just blindly playing. When you look at the Saints, they do have the travel situation. They played late Monday night, coming back home, Patriots with added time. The two coaches are pretty familiar with one another. They practice a lot. They talk a lot. They know what each other wants to run. So I'm not sure how big that advantage is. Saints have some issues on the offensive line. It looks like there's going to be a couple guys banged up this week or potentially don't go. Maybe that helps the Patriots get a little bit of a pass rush. This total is shot through the roof. We talked on our preseason podcast. There was going to be no working up the totals where we start Saints games at home at 50, 51, 52. They're going to go straight to 55 to start the season. And that's kind of what we saw here. And it continues to tick up. The biggest thing here is Dante Hightower. What's his availability here? He is the quarterback of the Patriots defense. Once he went out, New England had a hard time lining up. And that's really when that Chiefs offense started to find a rhythm. A lot of the pre-snap stuff, motion and shifts, has really, really sent the Patriots defense into a tizzy and and why those late scores happen. You're going to have to find out if Dante Hightower is playing this week. That's the biggest thing. This total, does it surprise you it opened where it did? I mean, we saw totals get as high as the low 60s late in the year. I mean, albeit it was a Super Bowl. Uh, that I believe touched 60 before there was some resistance. You look at these two teams offensively, their big play capabilities, some of their defensive deficiencies. How high can the total climb in this game? I'm not sure. What are we looking at right now? 56, 56 and a half, a couple places. At some point, the old school guys <laughs> just are stuck in their ways, uh, are going to come in a little bit under. I'm not going to be one of those guys. Dante Hightower is going to play a role whether this total continues to tick up. The one thing I will say, the one caution I could potentially have here is the Patriots offense. And I know, you know, three seconds into the game after they scored a touchdown, got a turnover in a short field and hung 10, everyone's like, Payne, you're a bumbling idiot. You you said this offense was going to take time to find a rhythm. Well, they hung 27. They hung 17 after about the first three minutes of that game. So, you could tell the offense was out of rhythm. And if you just watch the actual plays, right? The opening, the first pass of the game, 
Dwayne Allen is wide open down the sideline, and there just isn't that rhythm. Brady doesn't quite know where he's going to be, and he overthrows him. That same drive, he airmails two balls to Gronk. There just isn't that rhythm there, and internally there's some question marks now with some injuries. The offense, the wide receivers, Gronk doesn't look to be himself. I don't want to say he's not 100% because he probably is. He's just not going to ever be that Gronk we saw a couple years ago. So there's some question marks with the weapons here as well for the Patriots. But you couldn't pay me to go under this total. Yeah, number of injuries there. I mean, you look at their depth chart. Chris Hogan, Brandon Cook should be sufficient, Gronk. But injuries to Amendola, you lose Edelman, well-documented this offseason. And I have to imagine that uh, Bill Belichick, not knowing the severity of Malcolm Mitchell's injury, might love to have his services out there, even as a third option in that offense. To the other side of the coin from that season opener, the Kansas City Chiefs, who go on the road, hang those 42 points on Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, the largest number that New England has surrendered during the Belichick era. You're looking at Kansas City right now, paying a 5.5-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on this game, 47.5. Look-ahead number here had the Chiefs listed at minus 4. That's exactly where it opened. And you have seen some Chiefs money initially come into the market, either buying low on the stock or maybe an opportunity to uh, create a little bit more value on the road team. Master versus pupil here. Um, this is probably one of the more favorable spots this season where the Chiefs have had extra prep. He knows what he's going to be prepping for because he taught Doug Peterson everything he knows. That's just the reality of the situation. So it's not a great matchup here for the Eagles, despite being on Philadelphia last week. That is one of the games I watched. I wasn't completely in love with everything I saw. Where you can really attack this Chiefs defense is ground and pound. It doesn't appear that the Eagles are going to have a competent ground game this year. They like to run from the shotgun. That is not LeGarrette Blunt's strength. Wendell Smallwood they bring in, is that going to take him time to get acclimated? He's not very patient. He doesn't seem to have great vision. I don't know what the Eagles have for a ground game, and when we see Wentz and start to look at his road-home dichotomy, he is just a different quarterback on the road, back-to-back weeks now on the road. This just isn't a great spot for the Eagles. The other thing that's kind of an underlying factor here and is really going to make me pause on the Eagles, and I'm waiting to get some, some internal information here. There is some stuff going on with the coaching. Uh, apparently, Jim Schwartz is making a play for Doug Peterson's job. Uh, Zimmer's... That's always good early in the season. That's always good. You know, Jim Schwartz's buddy uh, is Mike Lombardi, who has been in the NFL front offices for 30-plus years. He actually gave Schwartz his first job ever in the league. He came out and talked about Peterson's incompetence on his recent show. I mean, he went on to say Peterson is undeserving of the job. He's got no business being an NFL head coach. It was It was brutal. It was ugly. So... There's something going on there. I kind of want to see how that plays out a little bit. Um, so that that's going to keep me off this game. I, I think I would agree with the early line move. Now I'm not sure how high this gets, but four probably wasn't the right number, especially when you factor in Kansas City's great home field advantage. When we look at injuries, uh, obviously both teams dealing with key losses in the secondary. Darby for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then, of course, Eric Berry uh, with a torn Achilles for Kansas City. How much does it change the outlook, maybe more so for the Chiefs' secondary going forward when they start to play some high-profile passing attacks? I think it's both. I think both of those are are huge injuries. We know when we talk about the Chiefs, Eric Berry, kind of that cleanup guy, but he's also their their headhunter. He's also their heavy hitter. And when 
you're not great stopping the run and you don't have Eric Berry there, the threat of him cleaning you up a little bit, uh, that's where the Eagles are really going to have to attack this week. Let's see if they can get a ground game going. It looked putrid in the preseason. It looked putrid last week against a Washington defensive line that eh, isn't going to be great this year stopping the run, so that was concerning. On the flip side, we saw the Eagles kind of play that bend but don't break in the secondary. Kirk Cousins just wasn't very good. Now you're looking at this defense. It looks like Robinson's going to get the start for Darby. Darby's going to be out four to six weeks with a dislocated ankle. That's going to be a huge loss for them. Hopefully he can get in the playbook a little bit more. That's one thing transitioning with that late trade. Maybe this time off the field will help him get in the book so when he does come back, you know, he's ready to go. Should be an interesting game to watch. And as you mentioned, curious to see where the market ultimately ends up settling uh, before we get to kickoff on Sunday. Uh, a game that I think will uh, be fascinating from a number of levels, paying two teams that both got wins in week one. One looked a little bit more dominant than the other on national TV. Minnesota goes on the road to Heinz Field to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers a five and a half point favorite at betonline.ag. Total in this game, 45 and a half. And when we talk about look-ahead numbers, Payne, the Steelers were listed as a seven-point chalk. Some books I saw use four and a half when they opened this game, others as high as six and a half, seven. Number has since settled in no man's land. I don't think I, for me personally, I don't find it surprising at all, given how good Minnesota looked, that you're seeing about 65% of the early action public-wise come in on a trendy dog in the form of the fighting Sam Bradford. Open as high as seven out west and got hit immediately. We saw the offshore market open six and a half. You're spot on right now, really in the week. There is some public money on Minnesota. Again, back to the week one. Everyone saw Monday Night Football, and they're going to gravitate towards what they saw last. My boy, Sammy Bradford. Uh, he graded out the best quarterback in week one. He is fantastic. Now he's got the seat. He's got the system down pat a little bit. The offensive line, still some question marks there with just too many. You know, they're replacing the whole offensive line. Five new starters there. He did get a little bit of help in the ground game, but if Sam Bradford has time to pass, he is the most accurate passer in the NFL. It's not close. He is just pinpoint accurate. So I can see why people are gravitating towards him a little bit. Pittsburgh, they're a tricky team because of Big Ben. The road home dichotomy there is huge. Pittsburgh wasn't overly impressive. When you talk about the 21-18 victory, let's talk about seven points being scored on a blocked punt special team. So the offense wasn't very good. Again, we made mention on the preview podcast that this offense was going to take time to get acclimated. Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to just come from, you know, dropping bars in the studio to the playing field and be this, like, efficient running back. Um, question marks with Bryant. He's been out of football for 18 months. There's going to be some, uh, you know, feeling out process here with these guys, and, and that offense is just not very good right now. I will say this, though. Probably a buyer at four, if it gets there. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. How far you think this market tends to or go, depending number. on it's, it's, it's public perfect. sentiment picking up on, on the Vikings? Put it in the dead number when limits are low. Let the market guide you a little bit here, whether you need to go down to the four as a key or, or up to six as a key. So I think this is, this is probably the best spot. Um, I would say... Is probably true. I mean, man, the public just has their say this early in the year, and they always have their say in the NFL. But I think probably six is the right number here. How do you think the Vikings defense matches up with the Pittsburgh Steelers offense? I mean, we know, like you said, we've talked about how they may start slow. Lavian Bell looked like anything but 
his elite running back self in week one. Antonio Brown, however, midseason form with his 11 catches uh, against the Browns. And I guess on the flip side, Dalvin Cook's debut for the Vikings, maybe they have what they think is a home run threat and a legitimate game breaker finally coming out of the backfield, something that they've so sorely lacked, uh, at least in year one of Sam Bradford's time up there in the Twin Cities. Well, I think right now at this point with that offense being extremely out of rhythm, any defense matches up well against the Steelers. We just have to figure out what Big Ben is. That's something we're going to have to monitor because we really like the Steelers team in general. Let's see how precipitous that drop in production is for Big Ben. I mean, when you look at last week, he was pressured on just three snaps. All game. Far and away the cleanest pocket of any quarterback in week one, yet he graded out the 18th best quarterback out of 31 qualifying quarterbacks. Pittsburgh is going to have to take advantage of some of these Patriots injuries and make sure they can secure home field advantage because Big Ben on the road, they're not going to make a run if he's playing on the road. I'm just telling you right now. Um, they're going to fizzle out, so they have to take advantage. When In terms of the Vikings, having a ground game is obviously going to help the pass game. And one thing I've always noticed with Delvin Cook is he seems to get better as the game goes on for whatever reason. He wasn't overly efficient. He wasn't overly effective early on in that game against the Saints. But late in the game... He started to hit him with some big plays. That speed really, he was able to get outside on a tired defense. So anytime you have a big play threat or the thought that these guys can actually run the ball, it's going to adjust your defense. It just has to. There was no threat of a ground game last year. You didn't really have to prepare for anything. And then you had Sam Bradford coming in. Now I know they started hot. He picked up the system quick. And there is some familiarity there with the system he was being thrown into. But now he's got a full grasp of the offense. They're able to put in new stuff specific for him. And the field is just wide open now. We like what we saw from Adam Thielen really being a true number two weapon there. Rudolph has been fantastic emerging as the talent we thought he was, especially in the red zone area. So there are some weapons here for sure, especially if Diggs can stay healthy. We know that was an issue at Maryland. It's really why his draft stock dropped and he ended up going in the fifth round. But if he can stay healthy, that offense has some weapons now. That's the big thing. You stole my thunder. This offense seems to go big play potential with Stephon Diggs' ability to take the lid off the top of the defense. Allows a guy like Adam Thielen to operate underneath uh, to do some things. Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook. This Minnesota team should be a lot more exciting to watch week in, week out if they can keep a lot of those key contributors offensively healthy. A tradition pain around here in bet the board country, unlike any other. (laughs) Miami Dolphins breakdowns. And the Dolphins will play their season opener on the road at the StubHub Center against the Los Angeles Chargers. This number has the Chargers right now, a four-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on this game, a 45. Uh, A unique scenario here when we try to make a case, who has the edge? Miami well-rested, having seen tape on San Diego or... The, excuse me, on the Chargers. At San Diego, I'll probably drop a bunch of times. Or the Chargers having already gotten 60 minutes of game action under their belt albeit a loss in heartbreaking fashion on Monday night against the Denver Broncos? That's a good question. And that's why I ask you, if I don't have the answers for a lot of this shit, that's why I ask you, you're the expert here. I feel like the market agrees with me. <laughs> I will say <laughs> well, this. Uh, this market has moved all over, I will say. I mean, look at number was this four. Keeps getting hit. Yep. It got up to five, five and a half, and it's come back. I was a little surprised it climbed as quickly as it did. Nobody likes Jay Cutler. Nobody likes the Dolphins this year. Nobody. Who's moving this line? Uh, so when I when I look at Miami here, I know everyone is going to factor in the hurricane situation. I mean, 
I don't really factor it much. They got out, most of the guys, I know Adam Gase did, got out to Los Angeles, uh, Oxnard, got out there on Wednesday. Some of the players followed suit on Saturday and Sunday. Now, granted, they didn't have two weeks to prepare for this game, but they did get an extra day or two. They started to shift their focus uh, towards the Chargers on Saturday, and Gase flat out came out this week and said, listen, we put in some stuff, but we really wanted to see what their new stuff looked like, so we didn't really do much until late Monday evening, early Tuesday. So there isn't a huge advantage here. But I will say there's been this team building, this camaraderie where they're out. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys lent their Oxnard facility to the Dolphins this week. Jerry Jones uh, was nice enough to do that. So they've been out there practicing. It's literally like this dorm room environment where it's nothing but just like football. So that can be an advantage there. We saw late Monday night game. The biggest thing here is I know the Chargers are familiar with that environment, but you get a late game, you get a late surge, uh, it falls short, you're in elevation, you're in altitude, now it's a short week. What's also the home field advantage here for the Chargers? There probably isn't very much. Uh, We've talked about that. We're not quite sure who shows up. They're going to probably have to win to put asses in the seats, but game one, there's probably not a huge home field advantage there. Bingo. And that was what I wanted to ask you. Like how we look at the Chargers. I mean, everyone talks about this quote unquote baseline for NFL home field advantage. There Some is guys two and a half. Uh, that's what I was going to say. So, you know, old school thought was it was two and a half, three, three and a half. But we've talked about it at great lengths on this podcast. For Jacksonville specifically, there is no home field advantage that should be factored in. You play primetime at Lambeau, Seattle, and Denver. You have to factor in a, a lot more there. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of home field advantage, if any, the Chargers can try and create there. Or if you're going to get this bandbox feel where it's more opposing fans, and you may have games uh, against teams with fervent traveling fan bases where it's you know 50-50 or, well, let's hope not for the Chargers' sake, 60-40 or higher going the other There'll way. There'll be some fans there this week because a lot of them made the hurricane excuse to go to the game, right? I'm going to get the hell out of South Florida, quickly search the tickets. Okay, I, I can go to this game. This is pretty cool. Go Go across the country, evade the hurricane, watch my Dolphins. So, you know. There's going to be some Dolphins fans there. The other thing here is you got to, I'm not quite sure what the Chargers' plan of attack is offensively. We came into the season, everything Phillip Rivers said in basically every preseason interview was, we want to we want to stay balanced this year. And they really tried to, to get that ground game going early in the Broncos game. It just wasn't working. And once they started to open things up, put it in Phillip Rivers' hands, let those receivers who are all healthy at this point kind of go to work. We saw that rhythm form. It's why they made that late comeback. Everyone left them for dead saying altitude, elevation, second half, they're just going to wear down. And early on in the third quarter, it looked like they wore down. I honestly didn't even see the fourth quarter. I went to bed. It was 21-7. I said, the elevation's got these guys cooked. And I look at the yeah. morning, and it's like, Jesus, they lined up for a game-tying field goal. So I think that probably took a lot out of them. Yeah, and especially the way it happened. I mean, the Chargers look pretty much dead and buried. It's a third and 10 screen pass that Trevor Simeon gets intercepted. All of a sudden, the Chargers get into the end zone. They make it interesting. They force another turnover on Jamal Charles' fumble, uh, 38-yard touchdown pass to Tyrell Williams, and you're going, oh, the Chargers may be able to pull off this comeback, uh, ultimately getting that last-second field goal blocked after Hung, uh, Young-Ku makes the first field goal. Vance Joseph was that? the call to ice the kick. Young, I don't even know. Young Ku, oh. I think, is how I pronounce it. Is that right? I don't know. Who is that? That's the kicker <laughs> no, for the Chargers. I, I figured. I figured. I figured. You Did he replace um, Nick Folk? Oh, that's right, Nick Folk. 
I was thinking a couple of years ago, Nick, you and your uh, es- Fol- Eskimo brother Nick. there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure who's listening to this podcast. We'll leave it at that as far as listenership is concerned. That's a different discussion for a different day, my dear friend. Um, from the Chargers, the losing side in that late Monday night game to the side that walked out victorious. The Denver Broncos, one and a half point home underdogs at betonline.ag. Total on this game, 42 as they play host to the Dallas Cowboys in what will be the marquee game of the afternoon slate. And Payne, you were first out here banging the drum, saying this Denver Broncos, for as much credit as it gets, for the accolades heaped upon it, there is one major issue that you haven't quite seen rectified over the last season plus. Multiple things here. That's that's a good number for betonline.ag. Probably wouldn't go too much further than that. Um... Wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> They were actually pretty good against the run week one. Uh, if they can continue to do that, this team's going to be good. In come the Cowboys. Can the Broncos stop the run this week? That's really the only thing that matters here. If they can limit that strength of the Cowboys, they'll have a shot to start 2-0. Um, if this number starts to reach the ridiculousness that I think it does, potentially three, I'm going to be a buyer on Denver. Um uh, one thing I will say is I thought I was going to see a little bit of regression from Dak. He was pretty efficient. He just doesn't need, he just can't turn the ball over. That's it. Dak was 19 for 23 on passes 10 yards or less. That's the efficiency they need from this offense. They don't need to have him be a hero with as good as that ground game is. The Cowboys defense, partly Eli Manning, partly a new scheme, partly players that fit that new scheme despite being young. That's going to be the interesting thing to watch here. Wouldn't be stunned. Oh, it already ticked lower. This this hurricane thing's got me really screwed this week. Um, I mean, you are so, you are the ultimate you so are the far. ultimate creature of hat. You are the ultimate creature of habit. Oh. We know how much tape and film that you watch. I didn't get a chance I can't to even watch imagine. any of these games. That's what I was gonna say. What the disruption is like for your schedule uh, as we head to week two and, and beyond. So we've already seen some under money here, which makes sense. Um, I don't really know what I'm gonna get out of the Broncos' offense. Simeon was was pretty good week one. A lot of that camouflaged by a drop pick six. He did throw the interception on the screen, as you alluded to, late in that ballgame. He appears to be a turnover machine. <laughs> that could really slant this game a little bit here. And if he's going to turn the ball over, and you have a Cowboys team that wants to play keep away and just really just you know lay on your defensive line, that could be an issue here. So I don't love the on-field matchup, but in terms of the market, and we're pushing towards three here, I think it's going to force people to bet Denver. And when you look at this game, Payne, Denver's offense for me kind of bogged down quite a bit last year when they lost C.J. Anderson to injury. Now you get an interesting one-two punch coming out of that backfield. C.J., obviously, the bell cow. Jamal Charles, they'll probably work him into... The offense a little more. I was honestly surprised he got as many touches as he did, especially as Denver tried to grind down the clock late Still in that has game. A burst. Uh, yeah, I mean, he does have a, a little bit there. You want to keep him fresh to put the ball on the carpet, uh, which opened the door for the Chargers to have a chance. Do we think Denver will be able to establish enough of a ground game against Dallas to open up play action and maybe take some of the burden off Trevor, Trevor Simeon's shoulders? Well, one thing that we did see, and we kind of charted and monitored this, is... The Broncos got smart. They realized Simeon was best operating out of the shotgun. And so they basically came out. I was doing a bunch of reading before the week one game. And they basically came out and said, hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to start in the shotgun. We know that's where Simeon's most comfortable. 
I don't know if they revert back to that. They do run the zone scheme system, which if you're going to run from the shotgun, I think running from a zone is probably a little bit better. Um, but yes, we saw that offense really take a dip when C.J. Anderson went out last year. He's going to have to remain healthy because this Broncos offense isn't very good without C.J. Anderson. Just hold on to the ball, Simeon, and this offense is going to be good enough to stockpile victories with that defense. It reminds me an awful lot of a team we talked about a few minutes previously, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lean on your defense. Don't make mistakes. Don't put your team behind the eight ball. That team might actually short. have, not to go too far backwards, that team might be the one that's impacted by by the hurricane, right? Like they they got out of Dodge last week. Now all of a sudden, you know, Jacksonville got hit a little bit. Now they're coming back home to assess the damage this week. Um Oh, I think it has a real sobering reality. You're able to escape it and focus on it. You go into another environment where the Texans were dealing with such. Now you have to come back home and figure out exactly, all right, I'm not just a football player. I do have a personal life off the field. Uh, and how do I try and rectify some of these situations that unfortunately, you know, a lot of the country down, has had to deal with through your neck of the woods, most of Florida, and of course still feeling the after effects of Hurricane Harvey throughout that Houston area as well. Uh, from a game that should be probably one of the more exciting and fascinating matchups in the late afternoon to the crown jewel potentially on the entire Week 2 schedule. A rematch from the NFC title game with the Atlanta Falcons breaking in the brand spanking new Mercedes-Benz Dome where they are a three-point favorite even uh, at betonline.ag. Obviously, you have to lay a buck twenty if you want to back the dog. Your total in this game, 53 and a half. I think we should start with the number, pain. Look ahead line right where we thought it would be, Falcons minus three, but we don't have to rewind the clock all that far where professional bettors ran over men, they ran over women, and they ran over children to bet the Falcons up to minus six where the number closed in the NFC Championship I remember game. that game. That was a fun game. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that was what we call the proverbial rocking chair game uh, for folks that are not all that familiar with gambling vernacular. Double revenge here, by the way. They played twice third, last year. Third, yeah, Third time they'll make the trip to Atlanta since October, I believe. Uh, I will say this. For the Packers, you know, despite having a new center, a new left guard, and a left tackle because Belago was a late scratch, I thought the offensive line did a pretty solid job against the Seahawks' defense. Uh, looking at this right now, Rodgers was pressured on just 26% of his dropbacks. Two of the four sacks were on Rodgers. He was just held on to the ball too long. We, we know that's kind of what he does. Um... It could be a one-game sample, and there's always been this legit fear around blitzing Aaron Rodgers, but he was one for eight when Seattle blitzed and had a passer rating of 40. Uh, I want to monitor this because Aaron Rodgers turns 34 in December. He's certainly not going to just drop off and be Dan Marino, but if his uh, mobility declines just a little bit, it's going to be worth something to the number. Uh, so that's one thing I want to want to factor in there. When I talk about the Falcons offense, that is one of the games we got, but it just didn't look the same offensively. And again, I want to see if that's a case of them getting out away from home, away from the dome, away from the turf. That could be part of it. Obviously, offensive coordinator, new guy, Sarkeesian, claims he's not going to change things too much from what we saw with Shanahan, but it just looked significantly different. Uh, when you start to back out things that you should back out when you're trying to assess these games, let's back out the blown coverage that resulted in an 88-yard touchdown. That's exactly where I was going to go. That Did offense the all safety? of a sudden, the numbers Who was the safety? The num- I cut him immediately. Soft as a <laughs> freaking Twinkie. What was he doing? 
He was like kind of not just... quite sure. He just figured, ah, I don't want to really want to get dirty he... out here, so we're just going to let this play go for a massive gain for for a tight end that runs what felt like a sundial worth <laughs> timing five four forty out there. It was like super slow motion, something out of the movies. It, it wasn't even just the blown coverage, but then the safety has him in his sights, and he's kind of just trotting there. He's not quite sure if he wants to tackle Hooper, and then hey, finally it was the Deion gets... Sanders. It was the Deion Sanders oh, school the no, tackling. Deion would have went right low and just you know went right at the knees and got him down. Point to this was when you back out the 88-yard <laughs> touchdown on the blown coverage, this Falcons offense averaged five and a half yards per play. That's roughly league average. They had a historic offense last year. Absolutely historic. One of the best of all time, especially when you talk about what they were doing in first halves of games. Shanahan really wanted to get out early and let that defense, who's young and fast, play with a lead where they can just kind of get up the field, not have to think too much. If they're not getting out to leads, I know the defense is, you know, talent-wise is going to be a little improved. A lot of those young guys are getting better. But if you don't have an offense that allows you to play with the lead where you don't have to think too much and kind of just not think or worry about the run and just get up the field, it's a lot easier to play defense that way. If that's not the case this year, we could see some regression here, and it's really why a lot of professionals are down on the Falcons this year, relatively speaking. Like, this isn't going to be a 1-15 in football team. Like, let's not get that twisted. But in terms of their win total at 9.5-10, saw significant sharp money under. Week 1, saw significant sharp money on the Bears. So the market tells us some things here. I'm not in love with Green Bay, but I think we'll probably see some some sharp money on them, specifically at 3. How much different does the market look for this game if the Bears can actually catch one of Mike Glennon's passes in the final you know 30 seconds of the game? And we're talking about the Falcons. 0-1 having lost outright at Soldier Field is nearly a touchdown favorite. Does this number we see sitting at the 1-1.5 range, or you still think this number ends up opening in that 2.5-3 range where it's ultimately settled right yeah, now? Yeah, it probably would open 2. I think 2 is probably you know, the right number here. I mean, I could I could be off. I would have opened it 2. Uh, when you talk about the Bears, Mike Lennon, shockingly, wasn't very bad. He was good. He was... Uh, good. Got good, no, got no good, help late. Good probably got... isn't the right verbiage. He was, he was average. Good. Can we he go was average? average. Yeah, he was. He did enough. He did enough. There's going to be and question marks at the total... at wide receiver. Obviously, Meredith goes down last game in the preseason. Uh, Kevin White. I mean, he's 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 glass. My boy's going to get a chance to be their number one wide receiver out there. What's his name? My my my, be, my beloved fantasy ad my beloved fantasy ad drop guy in Kendall Wright. Oh, Kendall Wright. I think I've had Wright. I think I've I think I've had him on my fantasy team each of the last I don't know three years, and uh, I How cut him and add him about six times a season. It hasn't worked out well. No, I think I think no, it hasn't worked out well. Man, I hate to give these gems away. I think Tanner Gentry probably is is a guy who's going to see a fantasy uptick. They're going to call him up off the practice squad. Uh, he did some things in camp that flashed a little bit, so I could see there being a nice rapport there, quarterback Tanner Gentry. So I don't know. Figure. I mean, Tariq Cohen came. Tariq Cohen came in nicely, and I may have to go to like Ancestry.com or try and figure out if he's a fellow tribesman with a name like Tariq, <laughs> spelled you know C O H E N, because it'd be nice to finally have a uh, fellow Jew out there at a skill position if we could in the NFL at some point. That word is apparently acceptable. You've told me. I mean, you make it sound like it's a racial slur here. No, a little, it's a, a little off to call someone Jewish or no, that you're didn't a Jew. Say that Just because you carry a negative connotation and you may want to make snide remarks, uh, having lived in South Florida with a, a lot of my fellow tribesmen that lived moved oh, down yeah, there. Del Vista, I was there this week. 
In Del Boca Vista, huh? No, it was close. I was Did I was in the Boca. I was in the Boca region, and I kid you not, there is a bagel shop like every block. As there should be. You should be able to get locks and bagels in every corner. I can't find a good Jewish deli out here to save my life it's in Las water. Vegas. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's a market for it, but I mean, I haven't been able to find a good one. A little, uh, you know, celery soda, Doctor Brown's old school. It's a lot different out here on the West Coast. I, I've you get heard to, you get those the scene out of Entourage when they're talking about dough. The yeah, Jews imported from yeah. Borough Park. What a great show. That needs to come back. Anyways. Much every time. Hey, before we finish up on the uh, Falcons-Packers, total 54, two meetings last year. Uh, we saw similar totals, but both games got to 65 points. Uh, what do we make of the number there? I'm not really sure. I Green Bay is going to try to run the ball a little bit more this year. They're really going to try to establish Ty Montgomery. Atlanta, again, back to Sarkeesian. What is he offensively? He's certainly not as good as of mind of Shanahan. And again, back to that style, right? So if Atlanta is getting out fast, what does that mean? The opponent's behind. The opponent's going to have to abandon the run. It becomes a track meet. One team has to play catch up. That's always a good recipe. One team gets out. The other one has to play catch up. That's a recipe for overs. I don't know that's the case this year. That's what I want to focus on. There's a lot of learning curves here when you have new guys. Uh, so I'm not going to just dive in. There's ample opportunity. It's week two. There's going to be plenty of opportunity to bet games throughout the course of 17 weeks in the playoffs. So a lot of these I, I want to see when you have a new system intact. Investment advice right around the corner. You've heard our thoughts on some of the weekend's biggest games, but we go to our weekly contributor to add another layer. Back for the second time in two days. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Mason BOL. And Dave, you got to bring the heavy hitting info after all the nuggets you dropped on us in the college football podcast yesterday. I'm ready. Uh, all right. It's a bit big shoes to fill. So I guess we'll start with the most logical spot. How did week one look for the house? I mean, we had some pretty nice underdogs get there, not only against the number, but also outright have to imagine it was a good thing at betonline.ag. Yeah, you know, week one uh, was really good. Uh, that you know, it started off that Patriots game is great. Of course, uh, we needed the we needed the Chiefs spread money line, and of course, the teasers was huge. That Patriots are teased every which way. So we started the week off great. The early games were awesome. Um, you know, the the Bears are big, the Browns are big, the Lions are big, the Jags are big. Rams, Packers, Panthers at the three, four o'clock games all went the uh, players' ways in a big way too. Uh, a lot of unders, of course. That's always good for the house. Uh, Monday night was decent. Push is never fun, but what can you do? Um, no, overall it was a great weekend. One thing though, it's 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 a little bit. It's it's not as we probably would have won more. Uh, but this time of year, there's so many free plays and bonuses out there, and you always hear from. The risk management guys are always busting my balls this time of year, too, about how many bonuses are floating around at that. So that digs into your profit a lot. Uh, so it wasn't as big as you would think on paper, especially with those early games. So, there, you know, we did give a lot back because all those bonuses are out there floating around. But no, no complaints. The action was great. So on to week two. No one's going to feel bad for you, Mason. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about week two, what is it looking like early for public action? Public. A lot of one-way action here. Patriots, of course. Everybody's expecting them to rebound. Uh, 90% of the bets are on the Patriots, minus six and a half at the Saints. 
Titans. Titans are a big public play so far. 75% of the early betters on the Titans, minus two at Jags. And the Raiders. 80% of the bets are on the Raiders, currently minus 13 and a half versus the Jets. So those are the big public plays, you know, those those three games, I don't see them. They'll they'll continue to be sweats and more will arise as we get closer to game day. Tonight's action is pretty 50-50. There's not a big need there. So a little bit, we have a little bit need on that. The Bengals are a little bit of public side, but nothing too much. That's interesting. And in professional money? Yes, sir. Speaking of tonight's game. <laughs> perfect segue, boys. Perfect segue. Yeah, we practiced all week. <laughs> no, Texans plus six and a half. I mean, the Bengals got hit real early, but, you know, that was just the early stuff. But Texans plus six and a half got hit recently. Um, that's now plus six down, down a smidge. Broncos plus two. That's currently plus one and a half. Titans minus one and a half. It's now minus two. And Tampa, minus six. That's currently minus seven. So that's some of the sharper stuff. Again, you know, more sharp stuff comes in closer to the weekend. And, uh, you know, some of that early sharp stuff, too, sometimes that kind of flips, too. Um, you know, they, they might get sharper money on the other side once that number moves too much. So stay tuned this weekend. And, Dave, when it comes to the NFL numbers, you guys have been hanging them pretty consistently Sunday nights. I mean, what's the game plan? They'll be up before Sunday night football throughout the season? Yeah, that's the plan. That's that's what we've been doing the um, last four or five years, I guess. Uh, we started hanging numbers as early as possible, usually the first in the industry. Um, you know, college goes up first. College goes up uh, during the four o'clock games, usually. And then once after the four o'clock games are done, we, we, we get to the NFL early openers. And uh, yeah, the, the early betters really like them. I, I'm always surprised that not as many people come in and take advantage of them because some of those numbers are off a point, two points, whatever. So come and get the early value on those early lines. And, and Dave, before we let you go, though, there is a, another marquee sporting event taking place right here in my backyard. And Triple G is a $1.56 favorite at betonline.ag against Canelo Alvarez and Mexican Independence Day. What's the fight handle been like for you guys on this bout and just to kind of put it in comparison, you know, is it 10%, 20% for the massive haul that you guys saw on Conor McGregor against Floyd Mayweather a few short weeks ago? Right. You know, the, the action's great, but it's going to no, come nowhere near to what we saw a few weeks ago. Um, as of now, similar day, we're probably at about 10%. I, I think that's what it'll probably be. It'll be, with that being said, it'll be the second biggest bet fight of the year. <laughs> Tells you something, um, how big that fight a few weeks ago was. Uh, right now, we're we're going to be Triple G fans. As about 69% of bets are now Alvarez. That's why, you know, we opened uh, Triple G minus 170s down to minus 156, as you said. And that's that's mostly public moves. No real sharp stuff yet. We think the public's going to keep hitting uh, Alvarez, and I think it'll drop a little more. We're, we're expecting the sharp side to be on Triple G. We'll see. And Dave, I mean, you, you bitched at the beginning of this little uh, brief interview about all the bonus codes and blah, blah, blah. You guys couldn't make your balance sheet. Let's be honest uh, here. What kind I of bonus? Did, I didn't. I did well, here bit. we go. No, 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 no. You may, as well, throw, you may as well throw out a bonus code for our listeners then and let them take advantage like everybody else. I just want to make it clear. The guys in risk management who don't understand marketing and, and bonus codes and stuff, they, I, I hear from them and I have to be like, guys, come on. You got to do it. And, you know, so we're going to be talking to big. a new guy next week after that line. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Dave, it's been fun knowing you. We're going to have a new guy on there. point yeah, man online to talk about the promos. I'll debate with them all day long. Let's go. All right. What do we, what do we got for our Bet the Board listeners this week when they come to the shop? All right. If you do not have a betonline.ag account, come over and get one. Betonline.ag. Sign up for an account. Use promo code 75BTB for 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a betonline.ag account, You've not taken advantage of the one-time bet the board reload bonus. Use promo code 50BTB for a one-time 50% reload bonus. The maximum bonus on both of these is 1000 bucks. All the terms and conditions can be found at promotions.betonline.ag slash bet the board. Dave, it's always a pleasure getting to talk to you back-to-back days. Now go enjoy the uh, rest of your weekend. I'm sure there will be plenty of sides that our bet the board listeners will be rooting for as well. Uh, with you guys this weekend, both in the college and professional football ranks, my friend. Great. Have a good weekend, guys. I know it's a football podcast, Payne, but we we asked Dave about the fight. Fascinating to hear that about 10% of the handle that they did for McGregor Mayweather just goes to show what kind of spectacle uh, we were all lucky enough to see and cash tickets on in late August. But what are some of your guys saying about the uh, sharp money here and what might be an angle worth attacking? Should people want to try and line their pockets before they get into Sunday NFL action? Well, I think again, if you're in Vegas, you'll probably have a better opportunity at a better price. Uh, Mexican independence day probably is going to have a lot of Canelo backers in Vegas. Uh, In general, we know Recreational bettors come out for these kinds of events, and they like backing the dog. This did open in some spots. I know Mason said betonline.ag opened minus 170. In my opinion, that was a little high. There were spots that opened minus 140. There's a minus 135 out there. That's more my speed. I think I'd be looking to back Canelo there in that minus 135, minus 140 range. I know there was some question marks we had with potential judges. I don't think it's horrible. I, it could have been a better selection of judges for Triple G. It's not horrible. You got one fair guy. You got one guy for Canelo. And then another guy who scored some some questionable fights for, like, Triple G's last fight. He had 115-112 in favor of Triple G. So it's not the worst case scenario. It's pretty fair here. It would, could have been much worse. Would you consider, I mean, if you're looking at the fight, and the last note here, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, would you consider betting Triple G to win it inside of the distance by, you know, knockout, TKO, figuring that, all right, I don't want to be holding a ticket laying a dollar sixty if it's going to go to the judges' scorecards, knowing that it is in the best interest probably of boxing for De La Hoya's fighter and Canelo to uh, get a win here. And Triple G never having fought in Vegas ultimately doesn't become a long-term major draw. Yeah, that's true. Those are all very good points. Um, All factors that you need to incorporate into your handicap here, without question. I don't think this price warrants getting too tricky. I mean, at minus 140, I think that's where this is inevitably going to go. You're going to be able to shop around and get get some minus 140. I think, you know, that's probably the way I'm going to look. And I would say for folks that are going to be out here in the desert for the fight, it's Mexican Independence Day. Expect a ton of Mexican money to flood the market, so you may have an opportunity uh, to lay a much shorter price with Triple G than you will at a betonline.ag or some of your other offshore shops. To the final game, Payne, the Thursday night showdown, and I use that term ever so loosely, between the Texans and Bengals. We heard Dave talk about where they opened this number, where the sharp money's gone, 
how they could have a balanced book. So we'll call it what it is right now. The Bengals, a six-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on this one, 38. Houston Texans, a mash unit. Deshaun Watson gets his first start as an NFL quarterback behind an offensive line incapable of blocking anyone. <laughs> and Bill O'Brien, did he pull the plug too soon on the Tom Savage experiment after just 30 minutes of football? I don't know where we want to start. That was a lot of questions, but I will say this. I give you I options. I thought I like we'd already covered this game. That's how out of it I am this week. I mean, <laughs> I, I know I'm not getting you in midseason form, so I hope the listeners Ooh. understand that. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll know when we get to our best bet and investment, the struggle that it was for us to try and identify exactly where we wanted to try and steer folks to uh, plunk down their cash. Of all the players last week, anybody happier than Dwayne Brown? Oh, he just saw dollar signs. It's just one of those memes and or cartoons where it's dollar signs and he's like Donald Duck jumping off a diving board into gold coins. That Texans left tackle. He's been holding out for a new contract and boom. Houston allows a franchise record 10 sacks. Six come in the first half. Um, there's some interesting things here. Let's get to the Texans first. Poor Tom Savage. Uh, everything we heard and saw in the offseason and through camp was Savage won the job fair and square. Obviously, it was a matter of time when you move up to draft Watson, it just would happen. But I went back, and this was a game that I actually did get to watch last night about 4 a.m., and I did some research. And Savage was 7 for 13. 12 of his passes actually made contact with receivers' hands. He was not that bad. Then I went and watched every Watson snap. He had an interception, he had a fumble. And what you won't see in the stat sheet, he threw a second interception to Miles Jack that got called back for a penalty. Speaking of uh, which, Miles Jack, and I didn't hit on earlier, tremendous effort for the Jacks. I think he had like 14 tackles, but I digress. Continue. He, he was he was actually disciplined, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so we still chart that interception that got called back. Bottom line here, Deshaun Watson wasn't very good. In fact, of the 31 quarterbacks to grade out in week one, Deshaun Watson was 31st. Uh, we don't want to take too much from the preseason, but Watson faced basically second units for the majority of his recorded time in preseason, and he had a 67 passer rating. I am all for starting the young quarterback with the new CBA. You get your young, cheap quarterback. You draft him in the first round. You have that fifth-year option. But people are using this narrative that because Houston's offensive line is a mess, they want to go with the more mobile of the two quarterbacks. Yeah, I like that narrative. That's what I was trying to spin because I couldn't come up with a better reason why you'd start Watson this soon. If you're the Texans franchise, haven't you already done this with David Carr? <laughs> and, and now that you're making him the starter on the road, short week, and his ankle isn't 100%. Against I mean, against the team that got shut out. Now, thankfully, Vontez Burfecht won't be out there. But Adam Jones is back this week. But, I mean, the equivalent of doing that is like just, you know, purchasing a $14 million yacht and saying, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to float this puppy out the Atlantic Ocean here with Hurricane Irma barreling down. I mean, that's what they're doing here with Deshaun Watson. And I'm not the only one that thinks, like, yes, Mason said there is sharp money on the Texans at six and a half. Number it's grab. A clear, it's a clear number grab. You buy it at seven minus 120. If you laid three, you're looking gold. Anyone in the world right now would love to have a Bengals ticket minus three in their hand. And there's a reason this line has moved. And it's not because, you know, because like Steve Latimer has the 10-game PED suspension for the ESU Timberwolves this week. God um, God bless Cushing and all his nonsense. <laughs> God bless the guy out there. Especially his dad who back in 2010 went off on a rant that his son would never do that kind of stuff. I feel like Cushing's been suspended like 37 times already. It was like the most known thing around the league that they just weren't doing anything about. It was crazy. 
Um, good Steve Latimer. Good good Latimer reference, by the way. Awesome. And I will say this: there might be an upgrade there defensively. I know it was limited snaps, uh, but Zach Cunningham, the kid from Vanderbilt, he graded out the Texans' best defender in Week One. Kid's good. So I'm not sure sure how big that drop off is. Now again, it was limited reps. He played like 28 of 64 snaps, but they drafted this kid to be Cushing's heir apparent because one Cushing couldn't really stay healthy. And now with this 10 game suspension, that might be what seals his fate. Um, For the Bengals, I don't know how good they are. We know they have offensive line issues. That was partly why we were very, uh, we were on the, the first half under last week. Um, Bengals, Baltimore. Try to put it out Baltimore's there. Try to put it out there in the tea leaves. We didn't give it out as our official selection here. Hopefully, folks were able to try and capitalize on it. I, the Texans do have some some nice defensive line pieces that could create some havoc here. That's again what's going to scare me about this Bengals team. This offensive line is just putrid, and Andy Dalton isn't very good. He doesn't have his crutch and Hugh Jackson anymore, designing just gems for him. Um, there's an, another interesting tidbit I got sent to me, and this I'm just kind of ranting off here. I'm going off. That's that's what I say. I mean, you can paint. It is an option for you to say this game is pure garbage. If you didn't it have is. a chance to lay uh, three, yeah, don't I'm, bet. I'm certainly, it. I mean, we yeah. can get there and just say it, but we'll let you lay out the tidbit for the yeah. listeners. I'm I'm certainly not playing this game at all. And there was early sharp money on the under about two seconds ago. I just saw the screen get buried over 37. That is real, also. Uh, so. You know, I just don't like this game. But I will say this. If you're a Bengals fan, this doesn't bode well. Since 2008, there's been 13 teams to lose by 20 or more while scoring 10 points or less in week one. Only the 2011 Pittsburgh Steelers finished the year above 500. The average record of those 13 teams, just 5-11. and 11. That's, so, not, that's not very good. That's not very good. The Bengals, I just don't think are going to be very good. That offensive line is a train wreck, and you're just not going to be able to get anything going offensively. There's so many weapons there. You just can't get the weapons of the ball if Dalton has no time. Just get the ball to my boy Joe Mixon in space. I will say one prop, and I haven't poked around to see what's out there for numbers, so this is more spitballing. I'd be intrigued to know Deshaun Watson rushing numbers, if any of the books offer that, because I have to feel like his legs will be a key component. O'Brien can't make him a sitting duck, dropping him back there countless times against his Bengal defense. Uh, and risk him being an issue, but you allude to the injury concern there. Uh, so a game I think that it is still NFL football. It won't be in its purest form and, and won't rival what hopefully we'll see on Sunday night between Green Bay and Atlanta, but you know, better opportunities out there. So if we're not betting this game, and we know the schedule is a little bit in flux, maybe not as bullish on anything Sunday. Uh, what investment opportunity gets you to the party? Well, I don't, we always do this. I don't want to pat our own back here, but if, if anyone's really paying attention to the betting market, uh, there's a reason why these first-half totals are not opening up very early anymore. Yeah, it's um, bullshit. It's bullshit. They're waiting for us to record our podcast, and then everybody <laughs> offshore decides to hang the fucking numbers. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be intrigued with the slow start in Minnesota-Pittsburgh. I'm not sure the number we're going to get. I've seen some shops in Vegas that aren't open for business right now using 23. Taking lower It'll be limits on top to see of that. Where, where those other offshore markets, offshore books open. But I'm going to be looking for a slow start in Minnesota-Pittsburgh. Let's hope that total gets bet up, and let's hope nobody from uh, BetOnline.ag is actually listening to this podcast. And so they give us the number we're looking for. So should they come first, others copy and paste a similar number uh, there. So that'll be the intriguing angle. Uh, Points at a premium, hopefully, in the Steel City for Minnesota playing on grass. And as you mentioned a number of times, going back to our preview podcast, Pittsburgh may take a little while for this offense to click into high gear. 
The one gentleman who clicked into high gear right off the bat, congratulations again to Sam Franklin, our first ever weekly winner for the Bet the Board 5K free roll. We know you guys voted on the top 10 positions getting paid out. Uh, Hurricane has slowed down that breakdown a little bit. Payne and I will put our heads together. We will roll that out there. We'll have that for you on the Monday edition of the Bet the Board podcast, along with a comprehensive breakdown of the Detroit Lions Monday night tilt against the New York football Giants. We should have a much better idea of Odell Beckham Jr. status for that fine tilt. He was hey, breakdancing Thursday night at the club. Yeah. That was <laughs> I, I don't even I mean, I don't even know what I'd say. If I was a team member or a member of the front office, it would drive me off the absolute deep end. Uh one thing before we close up shop heading into week two. Any other games that you feel feel were intriguing or we could see some of these numbers potentially move uh off of the key spots they're sitting right now? This uh this is a bad card. I'm just gonna put that out there. This is not a great card. This is gonna be one of those uh Bide your time weeks and, and move on to week three. Again, with the the Dolphins-Chargers game, that to me is just going to be so interesting because I don't uh, think Jay Cutler is going to be as bad as the majority. The market appears to agree with me a little bit here. Uh, but just so many professional betters are down in Miami this year. So that that is just interesting to me to see the market kind of favor. My, my thought process where you know, a lot of sharp guys are, are thinking the opposite way. If Odell Beckham Jr. goes in, regardless of the public being on uh, the Detroit Lions Monday, that's going to tick up a little bit. So Keep tabs on it. Uh, we'll call it now. I mean, if we want to make a bold proclamation, do we see the Devontae Parker breakout game for the Miami Dolphins against the Chargers? Oh. Uh, or are we going to have to wait a little while for that? I don't know. He's your I, guy. I, yeah, he's going to have a good year. I will say this. I really like that secondary for the Chargers, they're going to try to establish the round game against the 3-4 defense without its middle linebacker. So, yeah, it's going to be the, the J-train early on, and, and that's one thing. And we always talk about Gase, and he's a very good offensive mind, but it's not just like some chuck-and-duck offense here. It's, there's really some strategic stuff to his offense. They have great receivers that you can really spread the ball out to, but when you talk about Parker having potentially a better year than Landry, it's all scheme. Right When you have Ryan Tannehill, Mr. Dink and Dunk, it's going to play into the slot receiver's role who's, you know, yards after catch, the five-yard outs, the seven-yard comebacks in the slot. Jay Cutler likes to take shots down the field. That's going to be a little more conducive to Devontae Parker. He's already come out and said, man, I love the way this guy runs routes. He is a much more talented and faster Elshon Jeffrey. So he's already kind of you know, planted his flag that, that Devontae Parker's his guy. A lot to watch, a lot to be excited about. The best way sometimes to get a little skin in the game, free contest. You'll have five games, pick them. Make sure you put your picks in, people. There were a lot of you out there who didn't do so. Uh, and if there is an actual opportunity to take that money out of your wallet to actually bet on games, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And maybe you can just make some money on the fight on Saturday night and call it a weekend. For Pain Insider, you can always follow him on Twitter at Pain Insider. I am Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well at Bet the Board Pod on Twitter. Sign up for the Bet the Board Podcast newsletter at Bet the Board. What the hell's our website? I never remember. We got a ton of them. BetTheBoard.net is the easiest. BetTheBoard.net. We'll go with that. Uh, you can follow our weekly guest, Dave Mason, at Dave Mason BOL. No matter which way you choose to invest, college, pro football, any other sports interests, hopefully we'll see you at the window.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus and Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondry.com slash survey.